Well, good morning. My name is Aubrey, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's uh, great that we get to worship together. Back in May and June, I began a series of sermons through the book of James. And in those two months, we covered chapter 1, and then we took a little bit of a break, and in November, we did James chapter 2, and now we return to James, and we pick up in chapter 3. So, if you have a copy of the Bible near you, I hope that you do, please find James chapter 3, and find the first 12 verses, the passage uh, that Vicki read to us just a moment ago. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to notice three things in James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Number one, we've got to hold our leaders accountable for the impact of their words. Number two, it's not only our leaders, it's all of us who need to come to grips with our speech. And number three, this is really hard to do, but Jesus will help us. Now, let me just say up front, I mean, there's a huge elephant in the room, right? Uh, Holding our leaders accountable for their words. I promise you, I did not watch the news this week and then go look for a passage of scripture to zing President Trump with. Um, It might seem like that, but that is absolutely not what happened. I followed our preaching plan, and the plan was that on this day, I start back with our series in James. And so when these two things lined up, this happened once again back in the summer, a similar scenario. I felt like God was picking on me and um, setting me up for some of you to get quite frustrated at. But um, I don't think that's his way. I promise that I'm not going to pick on those of you who, um, I'm not going to pick on you. And number two, I'm going to be as gentle as possible. But all of our jobs right now is to open our heart to God's word and let God's word shine into our lives and let God's word be the way that we look out at our world. So let's look at this passage together. James chapter 3, notice where it begins. It begins with this steadfast commitment that we must hold our leaders accountable for their speech. Notice verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. Alright, so James begins his teaching on how we talk by starting with leaders. And we'll see next week when we get to verses 13 through 18 that when he's talking about sins of speech, he is not talking about heresy. Now, often in the Bible, when it's talking about leaders and teachers and how they talk, it's very clear, be careful you don't teach the wrong thing. But in this passage, it becomes clear in verses 13 through 18 that his primary concern is when a teacher, a leader, abuses their considerable power, not so much by teaching false things or heresy, but by having bad manners in their speech, by having uncivilized speech, by being irresponsible and careless in their speech in ways that create conflict. 
By using words that are unloving and arrogant and by talking without gentleness and without mercy and and by talking in ways that are not honest. And when we allow leaders to do this, verses 13 through 18 and then chapter 4 make it very clear the result is communities in conflict, communities at odds with themselves. And in a couple of weeks, we'll see in chapter 4 that a particular result is physical violence and murder. And ultimately, rebellion against God. Now, I promise I don't make this stuff up. Like this, this is the passage at hand for us. Now, but here's what I want you to notice. In verse 1, we see James saying that we must hold our leaders accountable for God's standard in their speech. But then in verse 2, he immediately broadens the lens to focus on not just leaders, but everybody. Not just teachers, but all of us. And that's the second point. The second point is that when we see the destruction that can come from a leader, a teacher who speaks in unwise ways, and that's been very easy to see this week, notice how James doesn't linger on that point. That's only verse 1. Immediately, he takes all of the attention we can give By judging leaders who speak unwisely. And he immediately uses all of that passion that wells up in us. And says, now look at yourself. Notice how he doesn't let us off the hook. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says. He's a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. So when James says... That the person who speaks well, who has verbal self-control, who tames their tongue and resists bad habits of speech. When he says that person is perfect, he is not saying, oh, none of us are perfect, so it's okay. No, no, what he's doing is he's drawing us back to the theme of his entire letter. He's drawing us back to James chapter 1 verse 4 where he wrote, Let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We think of perfection as an unattainable, absolute ideal. We think of it as making 100% on the test and not missing a single question. So we tend to read James chapter 3 verse 2 the person who doesn't sin in their speech is perfect, we tend to read that and and to use it in kind of a cliche way to say, you know, I'm not perfect. As a way of saying, that's unrealistic. But James doesn't use the word perfect in that kind of way. He uses it as a synonym for mature, as a synonym for complete, as a synonym for what a Christian can become this side Of the the new heavens and the new earth. This is the central theme of his book. Christians need to grow up. They need to become complete. Fully devoted to God. They They need to be people whose whole life. There's nothing that's off limits to God. We need to become the kind of people. Who let God. Who let God deal with everything in our lives. 
And in all the spaces of our life, whether it's our speech or our money or our time or how we use our body or how we use our sexuality or how we use our any of these kind of things, we need to become the kind of people who are yielding to God and letting him make us into his image. Now, this passage, in other words, is saying that we all must refuse to settle for being mediocre Christians. That all of us need to have as a goal to become mature Christians. And if our goal is to become fully devoted to Jesus, to become mature Christians, no matter how old or young or rich or poor, then one of the most important places we have to grow up is in our speech, our ways of talking. And then James gives us Three reasons we should not let ourselves off the hook for our immature speech habits. First, he tells us in verses 3 and 4 that our speech is fundamental. It is crucial. It's essential to what it means to be a human. It's like a rudder on a ship. It's like a bit in a horse's mouth. James learned this teaching from Jesus. Jesus put massive emphasis on sins of speech. He insisted over and over and over again that sins of speech are never things we get to put into the category of, well, nobody's perfect. No, they belong in the category of, holy cow, that's bad. That's serious. And we just heard one of those teachings from Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37, where Jesus says, we will give account for every careless word, even the little things said in the corners by accident late at night, that our words will be called as evidence in the day of judgment. So that's why James brings up the importance of our words in nearly every chapter of his book. It's because words are central to what it means to be a human, to be a creature that was made in God's image. And remember, the very first action of God was to speak. And speaking was humankind's first test. The first test that humankind has in the Bible is the naming of the animals. The first test Adam faced was would he use his words to be an ark of safety and protection for animals? Or will he use his words to impose his own selfish will and selfish desires on the animals? And, and, and he passed the test. He used his words to, to offer the animals an ark of safety. This is why James, in chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, this is why he insists that true Christianity, true humanness, is characterized by pure speech, by getting close to and caring for the weak and the vulnerable, and by resisting the stains that come from those who refuse to live in God's kingdom. In other words, your words... My words, our speech habits, the things we say, the way we talk. This has to be at the top of the list, not only for our leaders, but for ourselves. 
And then in verses 5 to 6, James gives a second reason that we have to get deadly serious about our speech habits, the way we talk. And the second reason in verses 5 and 6 is because our words have the power to do unbelievable damage. Notice verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. In other words, there is no way you could overestimate the power of speech to do damage. And the destructiveness of sinful speech is so serious, James calls it hell-inspired. Hellish. It's a way, our speech is a way that the dark powers of the world, that evil, Satan, and the kingdom of hell work through us. Now that's pretty hard to stomach. Because we all like to come up with lists of bad sins and worse sins and depending on your kind of temperament you put yourself in it or not but do you put this in there that hell itself is behind my lack of self-control with my speech my sinful harmful wounding words Now, one more thing in this passage before we leave the second point. Remember, the first point was we've got to hold our leaders accountable for the impact of their words. And the second point is it's not just leaders. It's all of us who have to come to grips with our speech habits. A third reason we all, all of us, have to come to grips with our speech habits. It's in verses 9 through 12. And here we see... That our words, the things we say, the way we talk, it really does come out of our heart. Look at verse 9. With our words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God, the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In other words, you should never be satisfied with the current state of affairs if you use your words for good and you have habits Of bad speech. You should never. My brothers this should never be. The way we talk is a really big deal. Not only because it can hurt others so deeply. But also because the way we talk reflects what's really in our hearts. The type of language we use indicates the type of hearts we have. And so if you're the kind of person who really does love God and praise God and you really do say good things to God about God and to others and about them, but you also have these nasty habits with your talk, that's your heart. Your heart is that divided. Your heart is both for God and not for God. Ungodly speech is an evidence of an ungodly heart. Sinful speech is evidence of a sinful heart. Now, point number one, remember... 
here in James chapter 3, is that God will judge teachers. He will judge leaders for the way they talk. And so if you're a leader, if you're a teacher, be warned. And if you're not a teacher and you're not a leader, then hold your leaders and your teachers accountable for how they talk, the way James is doing it here. Point number two is that none of us should let ourselves off the hook. None of us should let ourselves off the hook for talking in ways that are immature and irresponsible because talking is at the heart of being in God's image. It's what God did to create this world. It's his first action. It's the first test he gave humans. It's at the heart of what it means to be a human. And, and, and also because our words can be so powerfully destructive and also because they reveal our hearts for all of these reasons. All of us must get serious about growing up in the way we talk. Point number three. Taming our tongues is so difficult. It's virtually impossible. And this is one of the reasons Jesus died on the cross. It's to save us from not just sin in general. But from sins in particular. He died on the cross to save us from our sinful speech habits. To put it succinctly, we need Jesus to tame our tongues. Notice verse 7. Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creatures can be tamed and has, has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, this is interesting. Right, right now, Chris and Lindy are taming a dog. I think they are. Maybe. Is, he, is it working? Uh, it's going to take a long time, right? Uh, we've got the perfect, we've got the world's greatest dog. Y'all, I don't know if it's good or not, but I know how good it is. It's not as good as Buster. It's this amazing thing that we can pretty much tame any animal to do so many things. It's one of the powerful things about humans. The things we can do with dogs and horses and even rats. We seem to be so powerful, so clever, so capable. Why can't we stop losing our tempers? Why can't we stop saying things we regret? Why can't we speak up when we should? And stop talking when we shouldn't. Why can't we stop saying the wrong thing at the wrong time? Why can't we stop digging at people? Why can't we stop exaggerating? Stretching the truth. Why can't we stop gossiping? Why can't we stop striking out? The list just goes on and on. And yet a central theme in the biblical story. Is that God elects a people. To show the world. What real humans are. God chooses people. He chose a group of people, Christians, in order to embody the kingdom, to be a preview for the world of what it looks like when Christ reigns and rules. Christians, we are supposed to make known Christ's forgiveness and his power in our lives, in every part of our lives, including our speech. We're supposed to be the ones showing the world how the tongue, by the power of God's spirit, can be tamed. It's the church. It's Christians who play the central role in God's kingdom that, as that place on earth where God is at work in his renewing power to make people into true human beings. 
God is at work in our world. He really is. He is leading his creation to its destiny of a new heavens and a new earth when the whole of human life and all of the creation will be restored and renewed from sin and its consequences. In other words, we should not only feel the weight of our sin when it comes to our speech and we read James chapter 3. We should also feel the weight of hope. Of God's power to transform us. To transform our speech habits. So that they become pure and holy. There is a perfectly good set of Christian tools. To deal with our untamable tongues. They are remorse. Repentance. Forgiveness. And transformation. Pray for the healing of your speech. Memorize Psalm 141 verse 3. Here it is. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Memorize that and pray it. Make it your prayer. There is hope. Changing our speech habits is hard. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Look at it this way. In this passage in James, he talks about tongues and fire, hellfire. But where else in the Bible do we have tongues and fire? A different fire, a fire from heaven on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this, in other words, is the reverse of James chapter 3. Here we have different kind of speech fired by heaven, not by hell. And the result is not speech that curses, curses those made in God's image. Here speech praises God and lifts up other humans. Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 5. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Here in Acts we see a forest set on fire. Not with the destructive fire of hell but with the life-giving spirit of God. The small spark of the gospel changes the course of a whole life and even whole communities. And notice... Such godly fire only comes from heaven by the Spirit of God. If we have come to Christ, this new kind of speech is something God offers to us. So we can pray and ask God for this work of the Spirit in our life so that we can take our tongues and use them for God's glory, knowing that this new kind of speech is possible. It gives us the confidence where we once lacked it. The believer is not instructed in the New Testament to silence their tongue, but to use it. 
Our conversation is to be filled with the grace of God and seasoned with the gospel. So there is hope for this daunting task, but it takes work. Taming the tongue is more difficult. It is more, it is, it takes more work and more intentionality and it takes longer than it does to train a puppy. This has been something that I have been, God has been dealing with me on my whole life. When I was a senior in high school, I was trying to follow God with all of my heart and one day I was memorizing scripture and I'd memorize Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what's helpful for building others up that it can benefit all who listens and God used that to convict me that me and my group of friends had developed the habit that the way we had fun was tearing each other down and through that scripture God convicted me that that's not godly speech And so I made a commitment. I wouldn't say anything unless it built somebody up. And for a couple of weeks, I didn't say anything at all, it seemed like, because I had developed such a terrible habit in my early 20s. I was a youth pastor at a church. And I told this off-color joke to my pastor. And he looked at me and said, I can't believe anybody would repeat that joke. And there was God, not this time using Scripture, but using another Christian To confront me and to deal with me on my speech. The rebuke of a mentor. When I was in my 30s and I had been accepted to do my PhD at Oxford and at Cambridge. I was getting a lot of pride out of that. And one night laying in bed, God really convicted me of the way my speech was slyly stroking my own ego. And now as a parent... I'm going to counseling for a whole bunch of reasons. But one of them is to get a lot better at the way I talk with my children. There are all kind of tools God gives us to deal with our speech. Mentors, scripture, prayer, counseling. And there is a lot on the line. So whatever it takes, grow up in the way you talk. Whatever it takes, whatever price you have to pay. Uh, here's a great technique. Read a, read a chapter out of Proverbs every day. Whatever day of the month it is, today's the 10th. Read Proverbs chapter 10. And pay attention to the Proverbs that talk about speech. Because Proverbs are little pithy sayings designed to be memorized so that they get down in your heart and they work on you like a slow-release medicine. And they change you. Look, the church is the community that is gathered to Christ in repentance and faith for the forgiveness of sins based on the substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross. It is the group of people on this earth who can become fully human. It is the group of people who have the resources to show the world what it looks like to really be saved. And if we're going to do that, It has to involve our speech. Let's pray.